We looked upon in prayer meeting this morning from Psalm 121. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God, you will keep us. You will keep our souls from this time forth and forever. I pray that, oh God, we might rest in that and find our comfort in that, that you who created the heavens and the earth are for us. You are able and you are mighty. You are strong to save. God, you are with us. May that find great comfort in our hearts this morning. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Announcement about uh, next Sunday. I wanted you kids to hear because it's something I want you to look forward to. I think it's going to be a, a very fun, enjoyable time. Okay, so as Steve mentioned, uh, next week we have the chili uh, cook-off for our fellowship dinner. So it's pretty straightforward, but we're going to have a little bit more uh, fun sprinkled into it. We're going to actually make it into a, uh, an event, a yearly event where we all get to uh, cook chili and then taste the chili. So it, ultimately next week, just bring your crock pot uh, like you always have, but do me a favor and just name your chili. So maybe put like a piece of masking tape or something on there, call it whatever you want. We're going to uh, give a couple prizes for whatever the best chili is. Not the hottest chili, so you don't... <laughs> That's not going to probably be a fun event then. Uh, so just make the best tasting chili, whatever you think would be the best, and then we'll have a little uh, voting thing, and then, like I said, a couple little prizes and stuff. So it'll be fun. So next week, like I said, just bring your crock pot like you always have. Bring it downstairs, but try to name it in some way. Put a masking tape with a marker on it or a card or something next to it so we can identify what the name is. And then we'll we'll vote and have fun that way. So, Adam, we don't want names like um, Mrs. Brandon's best chili, right? This should be like nobody should know necessarily who it is. Uh, yeah, let's let's keep it a little bit secretive. Um, I mean, you can have funny names, the whole deal. But yeah, uh, we're not going to go up and vote next to each one, so that the one that doesn't get the vote is like, oh, I guess my chili. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Maybe kids, you can uh, think about ways to name your mom's chili. Maybe taste it and come up with a special name. So, children, if you want to go to uh, Children's Church, you're welcome to do so now. And otherwise, you can get your notes. And uh, also just one other thing I should have mentioned before the kids left. 
You back? Reconnect. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, hang on here. Good. All right. Great. Um, one other thing, um, by request, uh, I put out in the Weekly Word videos of our uh, winter camp, and we're going to play the nine-minute summary video of that just right after service, whatever, maybe five minutes after service or so, and so I think a lot of you kids might want to come and see that. If you have. How many of you have seen that from the Weekly Word? Okay. Good. You've only seen Friday. Well, you get the summary it's after service today. It'll be, it'll be a fun time, so we'll be right here. And we'll play that. We can all figure that out. That'd be great. Well, as most all of you know, we are in the midst of a series on church membership. Um, Because at at Rock Valley Bible Church, we're working towards formalizing our membership from uh, informal church membership to formal church membership. And uh, last week, I just talked about the history of church membership, and we found that it's been practiced in many different ways, in many different times. And uh, we saw the early church practiced a rapid membership with so many thousands of people coming into the church. There was just, it wasn't, the structures of the church weren't uh, set up and established at that time. And, and uh, without much form or structure, we saw the church gathering, leaders then set in place, and the church then continued on. In the post-apostolic church, that is from about 70 A.D. to 313 A.D., that the, the, we saw rigorous membership being practiced, where there was, there was persecution at the time, and the church put in formal structures so as to make sure they could do everything they could do so those who were in the church wouldn't fall away when they faced the persecution of the church, tested them really hard before they became members of churches. And those who fell away, oftentimes at a time of penance is what they called it, just a, a time of, of restoring their faithfulness to the Lord and to the church sometimes for years at a time. Uh, and then with, uh, after Constantine, um, with the legalization of Christianity, with the widespread um, acceptance and really mandate of Christianity, everybody born was born Christians. And uh, if you will, Christians, those born in the empire were soon to be baptized as kids, brought into the church, and that lasted that way for a thousand years. And any rigorous membership was just kind of lost by the way as things were very relaxed, just kind of everybody was, was there. And in the church after the Reformation, we saw the, uh, the, the church try to restore back a regenerate men- membership. That is, uh, those who are genuine believers who have been transformed by the, the power of Christ. Only genuine believers were brought into the, the membership uh, of the church. And, and, and by the way, these are just broad scopes of things. Certainly there were different pockets, different people practicing any different ways, but this is just the broadest scale. And, and in recent history, um, it's kind of been all over the place. Some have viewed church membership as optional. If, if, if a church helps you and if it suits you fine, then go ahead and join the church. If it doesn't suit you, well, you don't need to join a church because that's just kind of something else only to be there if it works best for you. Some, something's optional, something that's necessary, even a fruit of your salvation, some people believe church membership to be. And even those who practice church membership practice it a lot differently. Um, there are some who are highly regulated, have, have lots of pages of covenants and everything they do. And some people just say, well, if you come forward at the end of, of a sermon and say you want to be a member, you're a member. And so when it comes to Rock Valley Bible Church, what, what we're trying to do is really just put definition to what we're already doing already. 
Um, so in terms of you think about being a, a member here, you know, just, just what is it that has brought you here to be a member? Similarly, we're going to just define it in many ways that way. It's, it's work for us. I think it's uh, a biblical thing to do as well. Um, but that's, that's just to show also there's lots of different ways you can think about it. If you think about church membership, we might, thinking, might be thinking about something different even than what we're doing, what we plan on, on doing. And, and just know that the reason for this whole variance of attitude is because the Bible's silent of how church membership should be practiced. doesn't mean church membership isn't biblical. It's just that it, uh, it, it doesn't speak how exactly to do that. Um, you know, a, and a pastor friend of mine talked about church membership in the Bible. He, he said this. He said, church membership is assumed in the Bible. That is, right, there isn't a command in the Bible for you to be a member of the church, right? When you come to faith in Christ, you actually are brought into the church, Paul writes to those in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13. He says this, Just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all made to drink of one spirit. Paul's talking here about the spiritual baptism that comes for all who believe in Jesus. You're baptized into one body. You've been baptized into the church. As the church members almost assume, like you come to faith in Christ and you are into the church and you are, are brought right into there. And that's why you don't see any verse that says you must be a member of a church. You must join a church because when you believe you're placed into the universal church. But how exactly that's expressed is a matter of freedom. The Bible gives no direction of how church membership should be practiced. That's why it's been practiced in, in so many different ways. We've practiced informal membership. We're just trying to, trying to define our relationship, like I told you last week, to bring that more to a, a formality. Um, well, this morning, what I want to do is I want to present what the Bible says about church membership. I want to say, just show you what, what it says, where, where there are places where you can um, see there's church membership. Because there are people who say membership is not in the Bible. And I think it is in the Bible. I think we've practiced membership informally, and we're transitioning to formal. So here's my first point this morning about church membership in the Bible, is that membership is mentioned. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You can turn over there if you want. Um, It will help you if you turn to 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to look at verse 14 and following. I'm just going to start reading. I want you to listen for the word members, okay? For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would be the body? As it is, there are many parts and yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our presentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. 
But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, then all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Did you hear the word member a few times? I, I trust you did. In fact, I, I count in 14 verses, the member used seven times. The analogy of the body is, is used. Just as your eyes and ears are members of your body, so are there members of the church. Now, we, we may not look at our hand and say, oh, our hand is a member of the body. Right? We might not use those terms, but nevertheless, the word works. Right? Your hand is a member of your body, as is also your eye or your ear, or your foot, they're all members of the body. And just as these members of our bodies, our hands, our feet, our ears, our eyes, just as they play a crucial role in functioning the body, so do members of churches play important roles in in every church. And and that's Paul's point earlier in chapter 12, verse 4. He just says, everyone has different gifts, but they all come together for the same purpose. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit and the varieties of service, but the same Lord and the varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone to each is given a manifestation of the spirit for the common good for to one is given through the spirit, the utterance of wisdom and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit and to another faith by the same spirit to another gifts of healing by the one spirit to another, the working of miracles and to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of those tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions each one individually as he wills. In other words, the Holy Spirit is actively involved, engaging, and bringing different members into the body so the body functions well, each using their own gifts, all for the, the common good. And note, this must be describing like a, a local body where you've got members of the body. He's not merely referring to the universal church, which we've been baptized in. He's also talking about the Holy Spirit sovereignly determining when and where and who people are in a church so as to help them. He's describing members <clears throat> in relationship with others, each one doing what is best for the, the common good. So I just say this, I argue that membership is mentioned. Membership is a, is a biblical word, but notice how you become a member. You don't become a member by, by signing up, but by being placed in the church by the, the Holy Spirit to use their gifts. And that's really why an informal membership can work and has worked for us, because membership isn't about signing up. Membership is fundamentally about believing in Christ being brought into the life of a church and being engaged in functioning as a hand functions in the body, as an ear functions in the body. So you all come and you're here and you function within a body, which leads to being involved with others in the church, serving others with your gifts and giving and helping and encouraging, whatever it takes. That's what membership is, is really fundamentally about. It's, it shows it's different than a club where you, you sign up for something. Since signing up, this is being a, a believer in Jesus, being brought into the church and functioning rightly in the church. And we see the church. Um, and, and next we're going to even see the church as a specific, identifiable, quantifiable group of people. And that's what we're seeking to do. We're just going to seek to, in coming to formal church membership, just seek to, to identify who those are. 
in the church. Second, we see not only membership is mentioned, but membership is also for clarity. It's for clarity. In other words, churches in the Bible consisted of this clearly defined group of people. And when Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, there were defined groups of people there. At Thessalonica, there was defined groups of people there. And so likewise, we see that those um, who, are, who are in those groups and are called members. So surprisingly, one of the places we see this most clearly is in the, the passages that deal with church discipline. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 18. Uh, many are familiar with this passage. It's called church discipline. So it's where... Uh, It's what it's about, which is really true. Jesus instructs how a church ought to deal with and discipline a wayward member of a church is by actually removing them outside of the church. The passage is more about church restoration, though, than church discipline. It's it's more about someone is is in your church and they're, they're caught in some sin and it's you going after them and trying to bring them back into the church. It's about calling the stray who turned from their to turn from their false ways and, and come back in. And only at the end, after multiple attempts of restoration have failed, that formal discipline takes place. But, but look at verse 15. And actually, it's really, really helpful even to see that Jesus precedes this to just talking about um, if a man, verse 12. He says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? He, that, this, is, this is what Jesus is setting up, right? There's one astray and you go after that one. And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. And so it's not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Right? We should go after people and pursue after people in a, in a gracious way to bring them in. But Jesus then deals with people. He brings the, the illustration of the shepherd and the sheep to the church. He says, if your brother sins against you, <clears throat> go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the, even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, the process is a, is a four-step process. Right? You see someone sinning, and then what you do is you, you, you go after them individually first. And then if they don't, they don't come back, they don't, they don't believe and trust, repent of their ways, you bring two or three along with them. If they don't go back, if they don't, they don't turn back, then what you do is you, you, you call the church to do that. And so that's people of the church going after that person and trying to bring them back to, to believe and trust in Christ. And then, and then finally, if they don't repent, it's an act then of, of putting them out. It might sound easy, but it's, it's very hard. And, and I know that lots of churches don't even do this. A lot of churches, in fact, as I, I've, I've run with pastors, and, and uh, they would never dare to do this or, or bring such an open accusation of sin to the entire church body. And yet Jesus calls the church to practice this regardless of the difficulties. But here's, here's my main point is it deals with membership. It's for clarity. Jesus wants the church to be clear about who's in the church and who's outside the church. Right? And you, you can even see that then in verse 18, uh, verse um, 17 rather. 
If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, to be sure, Jesus said that we should treat Gentiles and tax collectors with compassion and grace, to be sure. But the point is, though, that they have been treated with compassion, multiple people in grace calling them back. And in the end, the one who's refused all calls to repent has no place among the people of God and is to be shunned, is what one commentator said. And ultimately, they should be kept out of the covenant community because they're not representing Christ in any way. They should not be welcomed into the fellowship of the church. But notice that, that there's this inside the church and there's this outside the church mentality. Jesus, Jesus assumes, right? You tell it to the church. There's an identifiable group of people that you're going to be talking to. And you're going to make it clear that that person's like a Gentile and a tax collector, that they are out of the church. And that's really what, what members is. Those, those who uh, submit to Christ are involved in a body are church members. But those who refuse and those who rebel against the Lord are not to be considered as members of a church. And, and somehow, in some way, that needs to be clear. So, and really, the method for identifying people is with church membership. Now, Jesus doesn't tell us how exactly church membership uh, is to be done. How are you going to make this distinction? But this distinction needs to be made. And up, up, up until this point at Rock Valley Bible Church, it's been made naturally. Those who have been involved, been involved in church are, are members, if you will. Um, those who aren't involved right, are, are, are not members. It's been clear enough for us to follow through on two occasions in the life of Rock Valley Bible Church with this process. We've approached members of our congregation individually. Small groups have been brought to them. It's been brought to the church. I remember on a couple, two occasions when that's happened, we brought it to the church. And we have prayed together in groups for this person just right afterwards. It's been a very sobering time. But yet still without repentance, we've considered them to be like Gentiles and tax collectors. Now, in each of these cases, it's been really clear who the members of the church, church was. They attended service regularly. They were involved in the lives of others. They attended church for some time. We were, we're in their homes or in the homes of others. They were members. But I'm thinking about, sometimes though, it's, it's, it's a little bit fuzzy, can be fuzzy. People who sometimes come to church, sort of involved in the church. Um, are they part of us or are they not? Is it really clear? And Jesus wants to be really clear, like who's part of us and who is, is not part of us. And that's really what we're seeking to do, formalizing our membership, is just to, to be able with more clarity to identify, as Jesus said, right, who, who's in the church and who's, who's not in the church. That's what Jesus taught about church membership. Just kind of assumed it, there's it is. Um, Paul taught the same thing, uh, same context, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Dealing with a church discipline situation again. Here he's dealing with an unrepentant sinner. And Paul wants the church at Corinth to be clear about the man's status. That such a one is not part of the church. He writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1. It's actually reported here that there is sexual immorality among you. Of a kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And are you arrogant? Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. 
And Paul's telling the church to remove a man, remove him from the church. He's not one of your members. Make it clear that this man is not one of your members. You, you, can't, you can't be in the church and be involved in this sort of activity and be called a member of the body of the church of Christ. In other words, the church should be a place of purity where overtly unrepentant sinners have no place for the church. It should be clear who's in the church and who's not. And, and Paul clarifies his thought then in verse 9. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. But he says it's not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters since then you'd need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. In other words, it's expected, Paul does with the church at Corinth, that it's really clear who's in and who is out of the church. It's perfectly fine to associate with immoral people and, and drunken people and revilers and swindlers, right? And bringing the gospel to them. I mean, isn't that what Jesus did? And Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners in a derogatory, oh, he eats with sinners. No, it's okay to eat with sinners. It's okay to call them to Jesus and call them to repentance and to bring them back in, but it's not acceptable if someone is involved in blatant immorality, saying I'm a Christian in the church to bring them in like there's one happy family. It doesn't work like that. Paul speaks about those outside and those inside. God will judge those outside the church, but he's given the responsibility of us to judge those who are inside the church to make sure that we purge the evil person from among you. And that's what church membership really represents. It represents those who are in the church and those who are outside the church. And, and here in 1 Corinthians 5, it is, is just clear. And that's what we're seeking to do. We're just seeking to make things clear. And, and, and for the most part, even the fact that we have practiced church discipline. In fact, I've, I've talked with some people before and they said, you don't have church membership in your church? Well, well how do you do church discipline? I'm like, well, we've done church discipline so that proves that we have a membership, but churches I have found who sometimes are very strong in church membership would never practice church discipline. We sought to practice both, but this whole idea of church membership, it just implied that there's a people clear who's in the church and who is outside of the church. Well, thirdly, so we think about church membership in the, in the Bible, we see the membership purpose of it is for care. Turn with me to Acts chapter 20. There are a couple passages that even show this and, and even um, go, go beyond just to see when they, they speak about the church, when the Bible does in, in this particular instance. He talks about the church, Paul does, as this flock. And he's particularly talking to shepherds about this flock of people. This passage here in Acts chapter 20 is most, one of the most tender scenes in all the scriptures where Paul bids farewell to the elders of the church of Ephesus. He loved these men, having spent three years with them in ministry together. He, he was on his way to Jerusalem for Pentecost. He wanted to be there. And he didn't go actually to Ephesus because if he knew there, he knew that it would be a, um, I'm not sure, a time vortex where he just gets sucked in and he would like hard, hard to leave of all the people he loved there so well. So he was outside of that at Miletus and he called the elders to him and, and he talked with them tenderly about their shepherding role. He believed he would never see them again. That's why he 
departed with prayer and tears is what happened. But here's the point is that Paul gave these spirit appointed leaders the advice they needed to shepherd the church in Ephesus without him. And his counsel is applicable to all leaders who shepherd churches. It's applicable to all leaders of Rock Valley Bible Church. I just want to read the whole, um, the whole message of Paul in its entirety. You just see its heart. We're going to hone then in and focus on verse 28 because I believe that verse 28 speaks about church membership. Paul says, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. Serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me throughout the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. Testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me. In every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I have received from the Lord Jesus. To testify to the gospel, the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent to the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in after you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God in the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to all my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, We must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. He knelt down, verse 36, he prayed with them. Verse 37, there was weeping and kissing and embracing because they believed that they would never see each other again. Just a tender, tender scene. But Paul is counseling these elders. And just consider, these are elders of the church at Ephesus. He begins to review his own ministry in verses 18 through 21, just speaking about how he was there in Ephesus, speaking with them night and day. He speaks then, look forward in 22 through 24 about his own destiny, saying imprisonment and bonds await me. He turns into the expectations of what the elders will face. They'll face dangers and defection from the elders even. And then he points them to the source of security, which is God himself. I commend you to God in the word of his grace. But the heart of his message is contained right here in verse 28. As Paul says, pay careful, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. 
And this, I believe, really focuses attention upon church membership. Just implied, just, just assuming there. Verse 28 describes the work of shepherds. They must watch over themselves and they must watch over the flock. And that's what shepherding work is. It's caring for the flock. That, that's, that's what he says right here, verse 28. Pay careful attention yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God or to shepherd the church of God. And just as the elders were called to care for their own spiritual condition, so likewise they instructed to care for the spiritual need of the local flock there in Ephesus. And I just say this, notice the, 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 spirit, the Lord, the work of the Lord in the spiritual work of the church. These elders were appointed by the Holy Spirit. Now, from an earthly perspective, certainly men appointed them, but from a divine perspective, certainly it is God, the Holy Spirit himself, who appointed them as overseers. And that's really clear. Jesus promised to build his church. He's promising to bring people into that church, to put people into that church, and to appoint leaders of the church. And God's design for local church is really straightforward. Each church should have a structure with spirit-appointed shepherds and an identifiable conversation. You shepherd the flock of God among you. That is, shepherd the church in Ephesus. They knew who it was that they were to shepherd care for their spiritual needs and to oversee them and protect them and guide them and guard them. And you need to see this flock was definable. And that's what we're seeking to do with our our membership is just define the flock upon which the Holy Spirit has has appointed elders to to shepherd. And we see similar things in 1 Peter chapter 5. So just turn over there, 1 Peter chapter 5. And I'll make some application about this and show about membership and how it works. Again, we see the similar imagery, the shepherd imagery of the, the elders giving tasks to shepherd the flock. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as the partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Here it is. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those to your charge, but being examples to the flock. And I love the way that Paul describes this shepherding work. This is how a shepherd, or a pastor, or an elder ought to care for a congregation of people. Willingly, sacrificially, lovingly. Willingly, verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly. That is not not being twisted by the arm, not being forced into anything, but from an own desire. Paul says even in the office of an elder, 1 Peter chapter 3, if anyone desires that, it's a good work he desires to do. This is a willing desire that comes. Not, Not obliged because of some kind of paycheck or external control. It's a willing work. Secondly, it's sacrificial. We see that in verse 2, right? Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Right? There, there's the sacrificial. It's not in it for the money. Pastors who are in it for the money, and there are pastors who are in it for the money, are not shepherding people um, not for shameful gain. They're, they're shepherding people for gain. For gain. I was even talking to someone this week about some pastors I, I know who... They're pastoring because it's their job. It is their gain. It's what they get. But that's not what what Peter sets forth here. He talks about sacrificially. When when you pastor a church, you lose. Right? 
you, you gain spiritually in some regards, right? But, but you lose because you're sacrificially giving yourself lovingly, right? Verse 3, not domineering those, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock lovingly. It's not, not high-handed leadership. When Jesus said, right, you know the Gentiles, what they do, they, they exercise their authority with lordship and domineering. It says, not so among you. The one who wants to be first should be a slave, should be a servant. And so likewise, Peter picked that up and, and he said here that, that loving shepherding is how things ought to be. And that's the sort of leadership I've sought to provide at Rock Valley Bible Church. It's the it's sort of leadership I've urged the elders here to provide. Willing, sacrificial, loving. And any failings has been my sin and our sin. But we're striving we elders are striving to care for you like a shepherd would care for his sheep. And, and so, listen, as we institute informal, a formal membership at Rock Valley Bible Church, just, just know it's not a power thing. It's not an authority thing. It's not so that we have authority and we can wield it over you or we can have leverage over you. You're a member. Look what you have to do now. You have to submit to it. That's not it at all. It's not at all. There are plenty of examples of those who have been shepherds of churches for their own gain using and abusing the church for their own good. But that's not, that's not our heart. It's not implied in church membership. It's not using our position in place of power and authority to gain control. It's a place of, of clarity where we can say, okay, you're part of a church. We, will, we are responsible to give care to you. You want spiritual care. We will give spiritual care as well as we can now, here's a question. I don't know, for most of you, whether this has ever even crossed your mind. I know it's crossed my mind. It's crossed the minds of the elders here. Who is part of the flock that I need to shepherd? Who's a part of Rock Valley Bible Church? Who should I give oversight to and care to? Now, for the most part, it's obvious, right? It's all of you who are here today, right? You receive the weekly word. You support the church. You're in the directory, you're involved in a small group, you're involved in the lives of people of the church, calling them, emailing them, texting them, you're supporting the church in every way you can, and, and, and you all are members of the church that I know that I have been given responsibility, spirit-ordained by God, to care for you as best as I can, just spiritually directing you towards Christ. And there's a need in your life, fully committed to seek to help that need. But, but there are times, I'm not sure you've ever considered this, people on the fringe. Like maybe they come sporadically, they're not really involved. Maybe have been around for a little bit, not a long time. We don't know them very well, they don't know us very well. Are they part of the flock? Am I under divine obligation to care for them or shepherd them? If they have needs... How committed do I need to be? It's very interesting. I had a conversation recently with, with a pastor of a church and um, talking about just, just people who are, the difference between people who are men members and those who have like never said, yes, I want to be under your care. With the members, he takes such great care. And, and there's many other people who maybe been around for a little bit, not a lot, but they've never said, yeah, I want to be a member. And his perspective of them, I don't want to be, be crass here at all, but it's kind of like, I, I don't need to follow up with them. I don't need to see how things are... They've never, they've never said, hey, I want to be part of this church. They've never said, hey, I want you to care for me. If they've never said that, they've had opportunities or they don't want to do that, I don't... 
And you're just struck. I think I have taken on a much bigger burden than many other pastors have. Because if people come here to church, they've kind of been on the outs. I feel like an obligation to go after them and pursue them. And like I have, I, I have failed God in many ways. But it's like they have never asked that. They've never wanted that. They've never requested that. Do I need to seek that? Do I need to do that? Now, I'm not trying to be cold. Right? And with a, a formal membership, even if someone hasn't uh, officially signed up, if you will, um, just there's, there's a loosening in my mind about, well, they're not part of our flock. They've not come in. What's, what's defined? And so in some regards, church membership will help leaders to know who to care for, who to help. Because there is these people who, who may, maybe tend for a while, maybe just leave right away, come and leave. Come and leave. Do I, how much responsibility do I have for them? How much do I need to pursue them? And I just want to be clear. Just what we're trying to do is make it clear. Are you part of us? You're not part of us. And I have followed up with, with people, maybe who've been a little bit, and tried to, tried to see, well, are you part of our church or not? And just had conversations that maybe could have been preempted or could have had conversations earlier on in the process. But those are the sort of questions that I think about when I think about elders of the church, shepherding a flock, flock should be defined will help it will help you too right with just some security and comfort and just hey we're in we're, we're part of this together well finally my final point this morning is is that membership is for accountability it's kind of along the, the same line but it, it brings a little bit emphasis out hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 once you look there <clears throat> hebrews a book written to jewish people who embraced jesus come into the church but they were in danger they're in danger of going back to their Judaism. And uh, the author of the book spends an entire letter seeking to persuade them, don't go back, don't go back, stay in, because Jesus is better than everything out there. Jesus is better than the angels, better than Moses, better than Abraham, better than Aaron. He's brought the new covenant. He brings us a better tabernacle and temple. His sacrifice is way better, right? So hold on to him and press on with him to maturity, and the line of argumentation really goes by way of showing how great Jesus is and then several warnings about how bad it would be if you fall away. He writes in Hebrews 10.31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And in chapter 13 and verse 17, one of the final exhortations, he speaks about the responsibility of elders, so it's the responsibility of people and the leaders in the church and the people of the church to, to work in harmony, to press towards the goal of Christ. He says this, Hebrews 13, 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those will have to give an account. And let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I just want you to think about this, about who will have to give an account. This is why not many should be teachers. This is why it's a... It's a it's a fearful thing in some regards to stand up as a spiritual leader because I will have to give an account for the Lord for how I have led Rock Valley Bible Church and for the souls of the people who are here. And that's where accountability, that's why I'm talking about, right? People, are they in or are they out? What kind of responsibilities do I have when I stand that judgment day to the Lord about how I've cared for people? Have I left the 99 and pursued the one that is straying? Have I done that? It's kind of hard to know that one was that one part of us or not, or where where was that fuzzy line? But I know that my accountability is to the Lord for sure. But but members of the congregation, there's an accountability there as well to leaders. He says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls. 
as those will have to give an account. There, there are really two commands here, obey and submit. It's interesting, this first command, obedience, carries with it the idea of persuasion. Those in the church should be so persuaded by the, the trustworthiness of the leaders to obey them out of respect for the leadership that they provide. So there's a, there's a worthiness here factor. The second command, submission, submission, really just requires the yielding. Those in the church understand the importance of the unity of the church, and for the sake of unity, will submit to the leaders to help unity go for the greater good. And um, I just say, this is easily abused. I understand that. I know that. Um, when pastors of the churches wield their power to control people and, and use Hebrews 13, like, oh, you need to submit to me. As soon as I or any of the church leaders start pulling out Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 to command that you submit to us is where we have gone astray. A little bit like in marriage. When, when husbands require, demand of their wives to submit to them because the Bible says so, the husbands have missed it totally. It's the husbands who sought to live exemplary lives that then it's the Lord then that is coming in that giving them reason then to submit to their husbands. And so likewise with, with leaders. But that doesn't, doesn't negate what verse 17 is talking about, about leaders seeking to lead the church and the people of the church should yield to them in the course that they have set out. Now, if there's unbiblical things, of course you shouldn't. But if there are things that aren't necessarily unbiblical, for the sake of unity, it's helpful for that. You know, there are many things in life at church that aren't laid out in the Bible. Do you realize that? Think about Rock Valley Bible Church, where we meet on Sunday mornings. There's no place in the Bible that says you need to meet at 7721 North Alpine Road. There's no place that says that. But we as leaders have, this is where we're going to meet. There's no place that says worship services should be once a week at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. But we as leaders have said the best way we can get is just to establish this time, and you all have submitted to that in in that way. And and just think, though, about all the various ways... that we have chosen a church to do things at our church that aren't commanded in the Bible, but which you have submitted to and said for the sake of unity, right? We have an offering box rather than a plate. That's what we have chosen to do. We have Pollock's first Sunday of the month. It's what we have chosen to do. We have youth groups on Wednesday nights, prayer meetings on Sunday mornings. We celebrate the Lord's Supper every four to six weeks, not necessarily on a regular schedule, but just, just as the text and life helps us. We celebrate Christmas and Easter in ways we do, like Christmas Eve services and, and Good Friday services. We have small groups twice a month. We, we communicate with emails. None of these things are at all commanded by the Lord of how to run a church. But for the sake of unity, many of you right, submit to those things. Just say, okay, well, that's how the life here at Rock Valley Bible Church looks like it. I submit to that. It's not anti-Bible. It's not anti-Scripture. We're just going to submit to that. And as you make use of these things, as you read the emails, you attend these events, you're working yourself out within the structure of what we have sought to provide as a way so as to shepherd us. Now, each of these things have reason for that, whether it's how we do our finances, whether it's how we do our communications, whether it's how we promote fellowship among us, and strategically thought through about how many meetings we have, how much are we requiring, what are we doing with the youth, all those sorts of things. They're all thought through the best way that that we can. And that's some of the ways that you all submit and obey leaders. 
is by seeing how we have orchestrated things and such. Say, okay, well, we'll just, we'll just do that. And when it comes to church membership, I would put church membership in the same sort of category. The Bible's silent how to do church membership, like the Bible's silent where to worship and, and how to worship and how to, how to sing or read the scriptures. And we're just simply making a change from informal church membership to formal church membership. And we're asking you to submit to the leadership of the church as we envision we can walk together in unity for these reasons, for the sake of the unity of the church, and for the sake of us knowing leadership, who it is we're accountable to shepherd because we are accountable and the stakes are high. But we need to know who we're accountable for the Lord. And the clear implication to be accountable is the congregation's well-defined. Like, when I stand before the Lord and we talk about Rock Valley Bible Church, God, God should bring up specific names of people and I say, yes, they were part of our flock. And, and God will say, you failed to shepherd them well. I'll just plead the blood of Christ. I said, you've done well done in this case. And I'll say, well, praise the Lord. All glory be to God. But, but, but if it's defined where it is the flock is, and, and I feel like in many ways I've put more accountability on myself with people out there who've only come and are on the fringes of Rock Valley Bible Church. This will help to understand our accountability before the Lord. That's what membership is. It is, it is accountability and, the, and, and I love how the writer of the Hebrews says how church members ought to help those in leadership. He says in verse 17, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, <clears throat> for that would be of no advantage to you. And I love this verse because it speaks about the attitude and the perspective that a leader ought to have. It, it says one ought to have with joy and not with groaning, right? I ought to lead you all with joy. And you all can have a role in helping me lead with joy. Do you know that? There have been times where people have not helped that process. You just think through. Just life of the church kind of goes up and down. And there are times it's very difficult to lead with joy. But some of that can be with people responding. And, and certainly I've sinned. I've failed. I've sought to confess that and repent of that. And I've... I've not done perfectly and the, the things there, but there's a way in which a people of a congregation can encourage leaders so they do it with the joy. And this is good for you if I'm leading with joy. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, right? So, so smooth the way for leaders. Help them, right? Submit to them, obey them, right? Make the path smooth rather than making it hard. And, and these things really, as we think about church membership, I know I've, I've been filled with angst. I've had sleepless nights about, I just know every time something changes in the church, it's time for a eruption to be able to occur. And I, I've had angst over this, clearly. But one way to help with joy is just to say, well, if that's what leaders are saying, be a formal member of the church, I'll, I'll obey your leaders, submit to them. It's not unbiblical, it's not contra-biblical, then sure. I'll become, this would be a fine, a defined group of people that just says, yes, I want to be here. I'm a believer in Jesus. I see my need to associate with the church. I'm associating with Rock Valley Bible Church. And these are the leaders. That's essentially what membership is. But I love how this verse puts forth the, the blessing that comes to the congregation who support and encourage their leaders so that they serve with joy. You know that a grumpy, burdened pastor is of no advantage to a congregation. A grumpy, burdened pastor is of no advantage to a congregation. Is that what he says? 
Let them do this with joy, not with groaning. Because if they do it with groaning, that would be of no advantage to you. It's not helping you. And, and the way to do that is just simply to obey and submit. Now, certainly there's time for pushback, and we're not calling here for groupthink, and we're not just saying, hey, just do everything we say. We're not saying that, but there, there's a way where you can submit and, and help. A happy, joyful, energized pastor is a great benefit to any congregation. That's the sort of pastor that I want to be. Well, I want to close with what Christopher Ash says to church members about this verse. And um, I, I'm taking this quote from a book entitled, The Book Your Pastor Wishes You Would Read But Is Too Embarrassed to Ask. So I'll just let him, as a fellow church member, speak of something I want you to read, but I'm too embarrassed to ask you to read it. Christopher Ash says this, Unless... There is at least some whisper of joy in the hearts of pastors as they do their work. Some spring of gladness in their step. They will never persevere to the end. And, and this is the point, it is we who will suffer. Instead of being well taught, faithfully preached to with insight and depth, instead of being patiently prayed for, instead of having our souls guarded from evil, instead of being lovingly equipped, instead of being led in our churches, We'd be harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd at the mercy of all kinds of destructive evil. And our churches will be places of shallow immaturity and instability at the mercy of every whim of culture, pressure, or theological oddity. It is therefore, Ash writes, in your own interests to say nothing of love for the pastor that we should make their work a joy and not simply a heavy and gloomy burden. If you and I truly grasp the extent to which healthy pastoral oversight is a team effort, a a two-way dynamic in which we as church members play a crucial role as our pastors, then and only then will we be urgently motivated to learn the better to care for them. You and I have it in our power to demotivate our pastors so they'll gradually ground down to a slew of despond from which they'll be utterly unable to do us any good at all. But we also have it in our power so to cheer them and so to put a spring in their step that they will gladly do for us all that we hope and pray. That is my hope for Rock Valley Bible Church for years to come. And I would say that in large that has been my joy to shepherd you for 20 years since we started with a Bible study of 14 people years ago. You've responded well to God's word. You've responded to my leadership. You've followed my, my need, those, my, my lead, those who rebelled and resisted are the exception rather than the rule. For the most part, it's been my joy. But I, I just say this, right? That the one way to help the shepherding process to shepherd you with joy is to see clearly defined members who want and desire a joyful pastor, who want to be shepherded by joyful leaders to care for Spiritual needs, however we can, directing you always to the Lord, directing you to pray, directing you to trust in Him. Well, that's church membership in the Bible. It kind of gives you a, a picture and a flavor of what we're, we're talking about, what I think the Bible speaks about. So when you think about membership, that's what you should think about. Not, not just mere a, a list, but an identifiable list where you have God-appointed leaders who lovingly lead and, and in humility lead and guide and shepherd and care joyfully. Because the people make it a joy. Well, next week we're going to talk about what it means to be a a healthy church member.
and we're just going to look at the one another's because I think the one another's define church life of what it means to be a, a church member. Not, not merely be on a list, but to be active and engaged in the lives of other people. So let me pray. Father, I think about parenting. And uh, Lord, I think about my own children and how you have said, 3 John 4, how it is um, no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And I have lived by that motto, and I know that when my kids are walking in the truth, there is joy, and when my kids are not walking in the truth, there is sorrow and burden of heart. I know many parents know both those sides of kids who are joys to them and kids who are anguish to them because they're not walking in the truth. But, but that verse I so often apply to parenting is really a pastor to the people of a flock. That there's no greater joy than to hear of his children, his disciples, the people that he has led and guided and brought to the faith and, and guided beyond that, that they're walking in the truth. And God, I just know that is so true for me as well. Is that the greatest joy I have is when I hear of, of people doing well in our congregation, whether they're, they're still here and doing well, even when they go out from us, and are doing well, God, that is the reward that I seek as a pastor of a church, the joy that I have of having made some little impact in the lives of people so that they would be really walking in truth and walking as light of Christ. And so, Father, that's what we're longing to do with uh, defining church membership. And I pray that we might do this with joy and might do this with um, delight, with a, a skip in our step, oh God, that that we might all walk together as a, as a happy church, as a joyful church. God, walking through the ups and downs of life, rejoicing with one another as we'll do next week in the, the chili cook-off, having fun with one another over food and fellowship, and yet also then weeping with those who weep. And really, next week paves the way so that we can weep and go with people through the sorrows and hardships of life. And so God would pray that you would just to help form us together as a, as a church, a defined, identified body, God, that that's really loves one another, serves one another, is led well by humble leaders, God, that seeks in every way your glory and the glory of Jesus. So help us in this process, we pray, as we have several more weeks to go. God, give us reason to joyfully join in this together. We thank you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen.